Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Romans chapter 4, we shall read the first 12 verses. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then from the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he receiveth the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he has yet, which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them which are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. May the Lord add his blessing to this portion of his word. Let's unite for just a moment of prayer. Our Father, we pause to look at your word and pray that you would speak to us from it we would have a deeper understanding of from whence our faith comes we would be able thereby to grow in knowledge and in the strength of your word to be more like you would have us to be for we pray in Christ's name amen wasn't that a lot of nonsense circumcised and uncircumcised and recircumcised and all of the circumcised that I read to you and probably just rolled off your back like it did mine just like water off a duck's back it didn't make a bit of sense let's see if we can make some sense out of it this evening by looking at this passage of scripture that I deliberately read that from the King James because that's what we normally read from some of you probably followed from some other translation made a little more sense All I'm saying is to this point that uh, sometimes we let it go in one ear and out the other because it seems so mixed up. 
in the King James, and, and the words flow together, and we really don't really uh, come up with a concise meaning as to what this, the Scripture really is saying to us. I'm not so sure that we're going to unravel all of this this evening at all, and some of it we probably won't even dig into, but let's look at the question of really what makes us justified before God. Is it the faith we have in Him and in His Son, Jesus Christ? Is it that which we do, the works that we perform? Just what is it that we must do or be in order to be justified in the sight of God? I think sometimes that I would make a good Jew, an Old Testament Jew, because the Old Testament Jew had the basic concept that he was saved based upon that which he did. And I would love to believe that. And use it as my basic theology. Because it would be so simple. If I were saved according to what I did, the only problem with that is I would have to be awfully good. And I am not so sure that I can be that good. And therefore I begin to get cold feet about having that as my theology. Because I might not succeed from one day to the next and without my sins being forgiven and might find myself in a predicament if I had not been good. We're going to deal with what is good this evening a little bit. So the Old Testament theology basically states that one's salvation is, is related more or less directly to what one does. In other words, it must be earned. The days of Jesus upon earth, the Jews and even his disciples still held to that teaching that you must obey the law. And the Jews had a group of people who were ones who attempted to continue to write laws and say, if you do this, you're going to be acceptable. And we haven't strayed too far from that belief in our churches today. And even in the Baptist church, although we adhere to a different theology than this, there still is a carryover to the theology that our salvation is pretty well based upon that which we do. See, there's argument about what kind of position one ought to be in when he prays. There are those who believe that you cannot pray unless you're down on your knees. There are those who believe that you cannot pray unless you're standing with your reverently with your hands folded in front of you and and uh, looking up to heaven and all the other things. And I believe I told you that there was a guy who dispelled all this by uh, telling us that he fell into a well on his head and he prayed the prayer in his prayer he had ever prayed, standing on his head. So what position do we take in prayer? What church is the proper one to belong to to be sure that you're saved? And you'll find people who will tell you that you're going to have to belong to such and such a church in order to be saved. 
You're going to find people who tell you that you have to speak in tongues if you expect to be saved. Now, I have never spoken in tongues, as those would describe tongues. And in my conversation with one of the ministers of this particular denomination, uh, this individual strictly told me that unless I spoke in tongues, I was lost, even if I were a Baptist preacher. That made no difference. How good is good? We say to our kids, if you don't be good, Santa Claus is not going to come to see you. We can easily translate that and say, if you don't be good, God's not going to come to see you either. Or you're not going to go to see him. Paul faced the same problem in the church. He wrote to them about it. And here in the book of Romans, we have the question discussed again. The whole issue was coming up amongst the Jewish people as to whether or not those who were not circumcised would be in fact saved. Did you have to undergo the ordinance of circumcision in order to be a, a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Jesus faced the same basic problem throughout his ministry when there were those who said to him that you're going to have to observe certain laws of the Sabbath and if you break those you can't possibly be righteous. You can't take an ear of corn and eat it on the Sabbath out of the cornfield. Some of the things that I did today I would have certainly in, in Jesus' day been lost for. I won't say what those were. You can just wonder and guess. Some of you know. The way some of us dress would not get us into the pearly gates, according to some. And some of the sins that we commit would surely leave us out and we would perhaps lose our salvation if we were caught doing those things. How good is good? At what level can we find ourselves when we are satisfactory with God as far as being a good person is concerned? For really the question is not how good is good. The question that needs to be resolved is what is your personal relationship to God? Not how good are you, but are you justified in the sight of God? Now that question is much more difficult and is, is very often left alone and no one really wants to deal with it. That little old Negro spiritual, it's not the preacher nor the deacon, but it's me, O Lord, standing in need of prayer, is exactly right. It is the individual's relationship to God and not what you and I might think about that individual's relationship to God. Let me go over to Matthew chapter 19, verses 17 through 25. If you want to go over there, we'll, we'll read a few verses. Well, we'll go to 16. Verse 16 of chapter 19. 
I want you to notice here what a person who is coming to the Lord. And he is a fine man in the community. And he comes and says, well, let me read it, quote directly. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing must I do that I might have, have eternal life? If we could answer that, let me, let me sermonize just a moment. If we could answer that question the way we would like to answer it, we would say some things like, I'll tell you what you can do to have eternal life. You join the Toledo Baptist Church. That would be our answer. You say the Lord's Prayer on your knees. You be baptized by our preacher in our baptistry, and you'll be saved. Those would be the answers that we would give. What good thing, he asked Jesus, must I do to have eternal life? All right, now let's, let's see what the answer is. And he said unto him, well, why do you call me good? There is none good but one, that is God. If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Hey, that sounds pretty good so far. He said unto him, which? Which commandment do you want me to keep? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. We would abide that one, all right. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We probably are not quite so strong on that one, but we would be fairly close on that one. We would probably agree with that. Thou shalt not steal. Oh, absolutely. We would, we would agree that one should not steal. Be careful. Be careful. And then, thou shalt not bear false witness. Now we get a little bit shaky. Honor thy father and thy mother. We're not quite so sure there. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, if we want eternal life, the Lord has laid it down. Is there one of us that has eternal life? Anybody? You see, we cannot stop with saying thou shalt not murder, but we're going to have to go to the Lord's comments and commit adultery and so on. He that thinketh in his heart, so is he. And who in his heart has not committed murder? Who in his heart has not committed adultery? Who in his heart has not stolen? Who in his heart has not borne false witness? Who has not been dishonorable to mother or father and has loved your neighbor as yourself? I, I suspect that all of us would have difficulty with these commandments. And so the Lord says, or the young man says to him in verse 20, the young man said unto him, all these things I have kept. Here is a guy who had done it. I have kept all of these things. But he recognized there's still something lacking. He was smart. I have done that. But what do I lack? And the Lord said, well, uh, remember the Lord's got pretty good insight into the type of person one is. And, and there was a problem in this man's life. He said, if thou wilt be perfect... Go and sell that you have and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. And when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And when Jesus said unto the disciples, 
Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now taking that on the surface, we probably would respond like the disciples in the 25th verse. And the disciples heard it and said, and were exceedingly amazed. Their mouths were gapped open. They couldn't believe what they had just heard the Lord say. And they respond then, well, who then can be saved? Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. How is one saved? Not by keeping the commandments, because it's impossible to do it. The disciples respond to that, Lord, if this is what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven, who's going to be saved? And Jesus, let me paraphrase it in my own words, and I think I will not do discredit to the Lord's words. Salvation is of God. One is saved by God, not by man. Therefore, if we're saved by God, it's not by our works that we are saved. But it's by something that God does. Now, Paul uses Abraham as a good example. Abraham was saved. Let's look at his works a little bit. Abraham went down to Egypt and said to Sarah, his wife, I want you to lie, because I'm going to lie. And I'm going to say to Pharaoh, you're my sister. You back me up in it. Because Abraham was afraid that if he went down there with his beautiful wife, Sarah, this beautiful 90-year-old woman, she must have been a good looking to be 90 years old and yet be so good looking that Abraham was afraid of losing her to Pharaoh. He was afraid that he would, Pharaoh would take her away or someone would take her away from him and he would lose his wife. Saved by works? Abraham? The liar? You see, we have already pointed out that you can't lie if you're going to be saved according to the Lord's words here to this rich man. But Abraham is a righteous man because he is saved not by his works, but he is saved by his faith. Now, if you're good, the Lord tells us here in the book of Romans, if you're good, you ought to be glad. But don't take this to the Lord and use it as documentation for salvation. If you are good, and you ought to be good, we all ought to be good, but be careful where we place our goodness we ought to be pleased with our life. 
If you're not pleased with your life, you ought to work to make it something that you could be satisfied with and pleased with. But don't use that as a basis of your salvation because you will fall in a category like this rich young man and discover that you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. You want to be good? And if you play tennis, you want to be a good tennis player? Are you a good tennis player? How about you golfers? Oh, we'll just have some fun. You guys who play golf, are you good? I want to ask you, what do you compare your goodness to? Jim Hall, are you a good golfer? Oh, come on. Anybody in here a good golfer? If you're a good golfer, you probably are going to have to compare your golfing score to Arnold Palmer. How do you stack up? Or, um, I don't know who the rest, that's the only one I can think of. If you are a good baseball player, you're going to have to compare your abilities to a Joe DiMaggio. Isn't he a baseball player? I thought I was right there. Play football, it's going to have to be a Joe Namath or uh, some of those other guys that are pretty good. To whom do you compare your goodness to take it before God and say, look here, I'm good enough to get into heaven? How good are you? And we would have to compare our righteousness with the righteousness of God. And back in Isaiah chapter 64, we are told that our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's not very righteous. That's not very good. That's not very moral. And yet if we're not careful, we begin to think about that which we do and say, this is what makes us acceptable to God. In the second verse that we read from chapter 4 of Romans, it says, if Abraham were justified by works, then he would have something to be proud of but not before God. Not before God. And verse 3, he points out very clearly, Abraham believed God, and it, it, what was it? It, his belief. Abraham believed God, and his belief was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, belief and faith are very abstract, very abstract. You can't put it out here in your hand and say, there it is. I've got it in your hand. It's hard to grasp. It can't be seen with the eyes. And this comes our problem in wanting to grasp something that we can hold in our hand and see with our eyes and rationalize with our brain to say, this is it. This was the problem that the Hebrew children had when, when they came out of Egypt and were led by some God. 
And when Moses went up into the mountain and they thought he wasn't coming back, they began to say unto Aaron, we've got to have a God to lead us, something we can believe in. We've got to have something that we can see, something that we can handle, something that we can depend upon that is visible and there in front of us. And when Moses came back down out of that mountain, in his fury and his anger, he tore up their God. He smashed it. A mere mortal destroyed a God. And they could begin to see that that which is made with man's hands cannot be God. That which is made with man's hands is not something that we put our faith in. We've got to depend on something that is secure, something that is solid, something that is beyond the realm of this world. No man has seen God at any time. We have seen his evidence. We know what he can do, for he has worked in our lives. And because we have the testimony of his presence in our midst, we place our faith in him. But we don't put our works in him. It's our faith. Let me throw out a challenge. I think it's an important challenge. I think the church needs to get to a point, this church, every church, that we can show the lost of this world that we are people of faith. Now we will do that oftentimes by letting them see our works that demonstrates our faith. Most certainly. But we need to show people our faith. I don't think we're doing this as much as we ought to. I think we are very short in demonstrating our faith. And we need to become stronger in it. Let me read from James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. To, to go on with this point. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith? You see, this is the other side. It's, it would appear that James and Paul were in disagreement with each other. What does it profit though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? The question revolves around the word say. We can say all we want to say forever and it means nothing. What you do speaks so loud I can't hear what you say is a phrase that all of us have heard. And it is absolutely true. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, we can prove our faith by that which we do in their lives. Our faith must be put to work. Now let's go a step further before I run out of time. I mentioned in the beginning that we would be perfectly satisfied if we could say 
The way to be saved is to be baptized and join our church. And very often I hear people making the wrong references to salvation and baptism and church membership. I frequently hear people say he joined the church. Well, that's great. I'm glad people joined the church. But what we're talking about is he accepted Christ. And there is a difference in being a member of the church, being baptized, and being a Christian. I asked a person one time in a church service if he were a Christian, and he said yes he was. It got to bothering him, and he, he was a, a member of another denomination. I didn't ask him if he were a Baptist, I asked him if he were saved, and he said he was, and so I let it go at that. And he asked his mother, when he got home, he said, the preacher asked me this morning if I was saved. He said, I guess I am, I was baptized. <laughs> he correlated his action as if it were faith. I want to ask you tonight, are you saved? I did not and will not ask you, have you been baptized? I did not ask you, are you a member of this church or some other church? The question is, are you saved? Now we can go back and use Abraham again as an illustration. And there was reference to the fact that Abraham was circumcised. This gets into those words that got us all balled up and and were so difficult to, to uh, get straightened out, circumcised and uncircumcised, and, and all of that there in the latter portion of the part that I read. The question is being asked is, was Abraham saved because he was circumcised? Or was he saved in spite of his circumcision? Are circumcised only saved? This was the argument that was being conducted here by the Jewish people in, in, in the early church as to whether or not you had to be circumcised to be saved. Do you realize that God called Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees 14 years before Abraham was circumcised? Was he not saved during that 14 year period? Was he still yet lost? even though he was being obedient unto God's will, had confessed his faith unto him, and was doing that which God had taught him to do. The Jewish basic belief is that a man must earn God's favor. The New Testament teaches that all that one can do is take God at his word and accept everything in faith. Robert Louis Stevenson built a house on the island of Samoa. Many of you have read many of his works. When he finished the house, he was tired, and he sat down to rest and to look at that which he had done. And He realized that he had forgotten to bring any coffee or cigarettes. He both drank coffee and smoked cigarettes. And he was wishing that he had both, which he enjoyed very much. His servant brought in his cup of coffee and his cigarettes and gave them to him. And Robert Louis Stevenson responded to the servant and said this phrase unto him. He said, Great 
is your forethought. Meaning, you had enough foresight to remember to bring the coffee and the cigarettes that I could enjoy it. And Robert Louis Stevenson responded this way, great is your forethought. The servant responded, no, great is my love. Why does a person do things for God? Not to be saved, but because we are saved. Because we love, we will do. You can correlate that into your personal life. You will do for people whom you love much, much more than you will do for those whom you do not love. Let me say it another way. If you will do, you will love. If you will love, you will do. If you do not love, you will not do. Why do we good works? Why do we good deeds? Why are we moral and upright and honest and just? Why do we come to church? Why do we all those do we do all those things that we believe that we ought to do as Christian? Not to be saved, but because we are. Not to get God's honor, but to honor God. Not to get salvation, but because we are saved. For our salvation is not dependent upon our achievements, but upon God's grace. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you for making salvation a thing that, that we can have in spite of how good we are, how bad we are. We do not stand before you or sit before you this evening. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description. Thank you for listening, and remember to try trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.